Hello, my lady. Hello, my honey. Hello? We're live. We're live. Hello. We're on the air. Hello. Go ahead, caller. Hello. I'm going to be calm this week, I've decided. Oh. Yeah. Okay. We do the whole show like this. Midnight Storm. Night Rider. That was the great Marvin Gaye. Night Train. The Reverend Al Green. Al Sharpton. The Reverend Al Sharpton. The Reverend <laughs> Sun Young Moon. Remo Williams. Now he never did. Did, did Sun? Did uh, Did the Mooney guy? Did he ever do a record? I don't see. I'm already off my game. Um, how's it going? Good man. I missed you. Oh, so much. Really? Yes. I don't get the sense you miss me. I, I miss I you. I think about you a lot. I might have abandonment issues, Dan Benjamin. I, I feel like I feel like I can't get close enough to you. It's like almost like we have to take off our skin and like swap skins or something. <laughs> We're much closer now than we have ever been. Hmm. You think? Well, I mean, because we talk more. Yeah. No. I Geographically, mean, no stuff... though. Also. Sure. Well, you know that doesn't mean anything anymore. What with what with the teleportation and and whatnot. I I yeah, it's true. I feel like I know more about you. Uh, yeah, it's weird though. It's it's very strange. It's strange to have a relationship in public with someone, which is really true. I mean, probably uh, over eighty percent of our uh, relationship, except for those you know emails, those kind of those emails we send each other. You like you those? Know. I love those. I'm, I, I, yeah, I've, got, I've gotten more and more into it. I have to say, because yeah. the first you, time I sent it, there was no reply, and then I sent another one, no reply, and then then you got one that after a while you said, usually I don't like emails like this, but I do like the ones you send. And you know, you know, I wouldn't say that if it, if it weren't true. No, I know. I mean, that. also sending me emails, it's, it's kind of like sending a letter to Santa. You know, where like maybe somebody nice will get it, but you know, <laughs> he's busy. He's busy. He's got toys. He's got to make. Yeah, you know, exactly. Anyway, anyway how 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 you how, how you doing? You, is anything settling in? Or yeah, is yeah, chaos? I got got some good, some, that's made that's some that's progress after the show. Yeah. I can tell you after this. We'll do it. I'll, I'll tell you in the after dark because this is where we're. This is time to inspire people to create. Mm-hmm. That's true. I got nothing, by the way, today. I mean, I've always got something, but I'm going to throw it to you. Did, did you. did you read the email this week? Is there any good email? Yes, actually. Let me let me see if I will. You you. But you know, I can talk about anything. I'm just I'm just saying. You know, I'm always picking the topics. And last week I was a real blabbermouth. So you should you know pick. People don't like that. People don't like when I talk, Dan Benjamin. You should do this show. You should do this show with you and like some kind of an AI uh, device. Like oh, a, like a, a good one. A good one makes poop jokes and stuff. I mean, you could do that, right? You could program yeah. that. That's something you can do in Rails, probably. It's probably like three three verbs in a controller. <laughs> hmm. We did get some good email. I'm gonna, I'll I'll dig through it while we talk. I'll dig I'll dig around. Yeah, see what I can get. I I read a lot of it. I don't get to reply to most of it, but I'm trying to. A lot like of oh, of, there there was the one. There was the one that just came in about the guy who who. He's uh, he understood the twenty seven priorities thing himself. You got a lot of responsibility from people who who themselves have twenty seven priorities. Oh, really? And and where it's like working okay for them? No, they're they're unhappy. They oh. they feel the woman the woman who had the, that you talked to with the twenty seven priorities. They they understand. They're sympathetic to her, copacetic yeah. with her, copacetic in the empathetic sense, to her. Sure, co- co- copa in the sense of uh, feeling like the nature of their job is they can't say no to a 28th priority. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Well, like, like I tried to say last time, I, I think a lot of people feel that way and for a good reason. You know, I mean, it's, 
it's not just fine for Merlin. It's, it's, it's Merlin. It's really true. I mean, I think people, I think there's a real sense. Uh, I, I definitely got this when my wife worked at a university and specifically at the medical school. Um, and it's, there's, I think collegiality is probably the best way to put it. Or even, you know, nobody likes saying no to people, but you also don't like being, let alone appearing, uncollegial. And I think in a lot of environments, if you ask people, well, I can't say, this is so broad, but my sense is that if you were to even ask people, uh, the kind of question I would ask would be like, well, that's a really big kind of big thing you're trying to hand me and I'd love to help with that. Can, can we talk a little bit about which parts of that need to be done first, in what order, over what time? I mean, as a, as a, as a bad project manager, former yeah. bad project manager, that's how my mind works, is that it's kind of, uh, if you like, uh, well, irresponsible to accept something that is either too big or too poorly defined. Uh, and really, it's, if it's something you just can't do right now. And again, if somebody asks you to pick them up at the airport and you say yes, well, what if nine people ask you to pick them up at the airport at the same time in like <laughs> nine, nine different airports? Well, you don't want to be a jerk. You better say yes. Right. Now, and it, it took me an hour and a half to get to that point that's a good on one. our last show. But that's, I think that's, I do come back to the money piece of this a lot just because I think it's, uh, it, it's an angle that pretty much everybody can understand. Because you, you, no matter how much money you ever have or how little money you've had, you understand what the empty wallet means versus mm. the full wallet, and that the guy at the bodega is not going to let you have your twenty back after you buy the twelve pack. You know what I mean? It's, it's gone. You don't have it anymore. So that, you know, I, and that's the thing in a situation. And, and you know, I just want to be when I when I didn't mean to make a straw man out of that particular example, except. In the sense that it did have a huge impact on me when that person said, and what we're talking about is in the last episode, I told a, an anecdote about a, um, a gig I had one time where somebody said they had 27 priorities, and in part to explain why they check email all the time, which that's so wrong, it's not even right. I, don't even, I, I would need that, like pliers, a map, a Sherpa, and a flashlight to understand half of what that even means. Well, <laughs> you check email all the time because you've got all these priorities. It's like, that hurt, just makes my head hurt. But... Um, I, I, I do understand that pressure. I have felt it. And the, the if you like, uh, lizard brain part of that, I think, is that you are especially disinclined to say no, maybe, later, what I call the qualified yes. I think you're even more unlikely to say anything but a fully, quali- uh, fully unqualified yes. Um, the deeper in you are and the more deluded you are about whether you're actually going to do any of it. Right. It's like the, the further you are dug into that, it's like people who are compulsive liars. It's one thing to have a little lie that's kind of silly. And it's an, and then you can have a bigger lie and a bigger lie. And then a, a, this whole some people are able to string together this. I'd say lie. But, you know, you've met people like this. Right. You're like, yeah, well, I, you know, I it's really bad this year because, you know, I made about 60 million dollars. And so I, you know, rah, 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 and you go, really? Wow. And my response was people saying, that, wow, that's a lot of money. Wow. Really? Wow, that sounds like a very costly car. I have to go somewhere and have a stroke or kill myself or something, so I'm going to go ahead and move <laughs> this way. And they're always close talkers. You ever notice that? Close talkers, the people. But if you get enough of those, now you're going to have to have these compensatory lies that like shore up the other ones. 
And there's never a good day to, to go like, you know what? I actually don't have $60 million. <laughs> and I, I think the more you start disappearing into your own uh, lack of clarity, and I certainly have plenty of lack of clarity. <laughs> I'm not saying I'm great at it. But do you know what I mean? The further yeah. you go into this thing. So let's say you start out. And, you know, just for a minute, like play along with me okay. with the notion that, do you play along with me, caller? I will. The notion that, um, and somebody pointed this out in, I think, a, a, a sweet but, but somewhat off-the-mark toot of saying, like, Marlon keeps saying priorities instead of the priority. Yeah, what did and that mean? All it means I spent an hour and a half trying to make that <laughs> exact point, and I guess I put it poorly, because I agree. It's a priority or it's not. It's, you know, um, so maybe I should, maybe the person is right. Maybe there is only such a thing as one priority. I think for most people, that would be not a bad goal. In practice, I'm not sure if they can. Why? Well, I mean, in an office, can you really say to somebody, well, no, I already have this other priority. Have you ever been like an assistant, an admin, like somebody pretty far down the ladder? When I first started that job with Dave, I was really far down the ladder. And a lot of what I did was summarizing depositions, which is really, I don't know, it's, it's like doing a long jail term. You kind of just got to get into it and, you know, maybe get a special haircut or something. You just got to disappear into it and not think about it too much because it's really, really dull. You read, in depositions, just for what it's worth, the, the way they type them up, it's in a passive voice, it's very dull, and you have to, be, in my case, this happens at law firms, different places, and so I'd have to go through these hundreds of depositions and try to find what I knew would be the parts that our expert witness would want to know about and that our docs could help prepare them for. Mm. And it sounds way more interesting than it is, and they're really depressing, especially in a tort litigation. But um, tort. if somebody came in, toxic tort, oh, you know, it's like a Danish, just had an apocalypse, by the way. Uh, but the problem was if I had five of those on my desk right now and they were really long and if there's a lot of science in it that I didn't understand and, you know, it's really, you know, if you don't know the topic, it's really hard to do a lot of those. The point being if somebody else came in, my boss or whomever, came in and gave me like 15 more of those, I was not in a position to say, wait a minute, I, I can't take any more of those because I, I already can't get these done with the time I've got. I was 23 and, you know, lucky to have that job. And I really did not feel like I was in a position to, to say anything. Uh, I don't know if that's about priorities, but I think that's really not so different from anybody all the way up the ladder who feels pressure from other people uh, to put more than, you know, five pounds of crap into a five-pound bag. I think we all feel that way. And I always, always return to that metaphor that I stole from Joel Spolsky of, of ideally trying to think of your time as, as a box that you put blocks into. And so each one of these blocks you put in represents a certain amount of time. It's immutable, right? The box will never get bigger. And the tasks or the blocks, you know, the blocks in this case will always be whatever size they need to be. 15 minutes will never be two minutes. 15 minutes is 15 minutes. That's how many cubic inches of block this takes up in the box. And so if you think of, your, uh, of a cardboard box as like a week of your time, there's really, there's not that much flexibility to it. Like you don't get a bigger box and it's up to you to decide what blocks are in there. And so if you fill that up, to where it's at 80% capacity all the time. And let's just understand, you may feel like you have no choice but to do that. I would like to think that you have a little bit of choice in whether you do that, unless they literally have a gun to your head. But if you keep that at 80, 85, 90% all the time, and you wake up every Monday with 90% capacity, well, uh, most of us are going to get plenty of stuff every week to make that more than full. And in addition to not having a lot of room left to move those blocks around, uh, I mean, there's any number of ways you can look at that metaphor, but I, when you think about it in terms of money, you think about it in terms of blocks in a box, all I'm trying to get at is that there is a reality to this stuff whether you want there to be or not. 
I think it's one reason why email is hard. The biggest reason email is hard is because of the human factor. The other reason email is hard is because it's endless. It's limitless. It will, there'll, there'll never be less email, probably. There's always going to be, and every email for most of us is a decision we have to make. You know, and again, and it's not going to kill you, but it's true. I mean, anytime you have a source of potentially endless anything and you don't acknowledge that, well, your box is going to get really crappy really fast whether that's with tasks or with email or with whatever. Um, and so somebody who has seven, 27 priorities or 10 priorities or whatever, um, I, I have to say that one reason that can feel so impossible to fix is because you're so deeply entrenched in this kind of this broken view of reality that, that you can't change it. Your box is so full, there's no movement. Well, you know, the best way to have movement in that box is to start taking out some crappy blocks. And, you know, it's I, I, to return to that metaphor of the Big Bertha rocket, you know, it's... The guy at the hobby shack is not going to let you take home 10 big berthas just because you really, really want some big berthas. He's going to want to see some cash. And unless you're willing to find the time from something that's not your work to do that work, you're not going to be able to do more than what you can. And more saliently, you're not going to do a good job with the stuff you want to do. And this is, you know, not so different from the Stephen Covey urgency stuff. If you're basically sitting there and you're this oil-soaked rag waiting for people to throw fire at you, like, don't be surprised that your office gets hot. Did you capture that? That's a pretty good Dr. Phil. <laughs> it was a very good Dr. Philism. Worked on that all weekend. Did you really? No, no, I didn't. I didn't. I played with my kid. We watched Totoro like six times. Did you watch Totoro yet? Did you uh-uh. watch it? No. Mm. Is that different from Pocoyo? No, no, no. I think you're thinking of Ponyo. Oh, the, or- uh, the, the Macross thing. No, I don't think so. No, Patsu is the kid that's in Castle in the Sky. That's a different Miyazaki movie. Do you like Japanese food at all? Yeah, you can't eat a lot of it. You can eat the tuna, right? I I can eat it. You know, most of the stuff if it's not fried. Yeah, you don't eat fried. fried. You don't eat fried food at all. Well, it depends on what it's fried in. I mean, if it's oh, here we go. If it's fried in uh, sure partially hydrogenated soybean oil, of course not. Sure. Well, they're pretty sneaky, those guys. The 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 truth is. the scarcity part is something that feels fancy. Scarcity. Right? Yeah, scarcity. Uh, again, the best example is, is, is money. And I, I always think about when I was in college. And uh, I think I've, I've said this numerous times before, but uh, I didn't have a lot of dough when I was in college. And uh, I, I remember, you know, especially remember as the semester wears on, there's like less and less money. Because, you know, the, <laughs> the loans and the grants and everything are kind of petering out. You bought the books for second com- semester. You paid the tuition. And in my case, every year, there'd be less and less money by like March, April, what have you. And I just remember on so many occasions, forgive me if you've heard this before, but uh, on so many occasions thinking like I can have clean shirts or food or maybe beer. And beer would always take precedence over shirts, but food would take precedence over beer because, you know, you got to eat. But it wasn't something where, where I just got to say, well, you know what? I'm really busy so I can have all of those. Because there's a whole bunch of ways in which that doesn't work. Well, I, I, I can't put desire into the coin slot at the laundromat. I can't put, I can't put uh, you know, industry and focus into the coin slot. I have to put quarters in there. And if I don't have those quarters, I can't do the laundry. You know, I don't have like Barbara Eden doing the little ticka ticka thing. You know, I, was that, am I thinking of Elizabeth Montgomery? Who's the one that died? Elizabeth Montgomery was bewitched. Yeah. And I think she may have passed. Okay, and then Agnes Moorhead was the one in Citizen Kane. That's a terrible name, by the way. That could be a good Bond name. Which would you rather had as your scenario? Would you rather been married to Elizabeth Montgomery, I mean, a witch, or would you rather have a genie? 
Oh gosh, a witch or a genie? Which or a genie? Which or a genie? A witch that you're married to that's your wife, or a genie that is somewhat subservient to you, even though she's omnipotent. It would it would depend. It would depend. I mean, if I was Dick York, if I were Dick, what York, did you call me? Excuse me. I, if I were Dick York, see, I always liked Dick York better. Uh, Darren won because I think he showed more of a genuine affection, and Dick Sargent just seemed mad all the time. Yeah. Oh, he was very mad. He was mad, and I, it's like you know, you got yourself into this, buddy. You knew she was a witch. Don't be a dick. Right. You know. But she, you know, that was a tough family. Those were in laws. Uh, you know, and you got Dr. Bombay hanging around and he, you know, he's got a real creepy vibe. Larry Hagman. Larry Hagman. Yeah, sure. He got shot in that uh, show about Texas. Remember that? I do. Yeah. The thing is, um, it feels fancy to talk about things like scarcity. And what do you mean by scarcity? Scarcity. 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 Am I saying that right? Scarcity? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um... Uh, scarcity is the absence of everything. <laughs> scarcity means there's only so much. You know, when when you drink the last uh, of the coffee out of the coffee maker, well, something will need to happen in the universe for there to be coffee in there again. Uh, when you spot your big birthday and you don't have that twenty anymore, well, something else besides uh, magic is going to have to put money in your wallet. Uh, and so, scarcity to me is the thing that is mm, arguably in shortest supply and over which we have the least control as knowledge workers. Um, because there's so much to our work. And, uh, oh, God, talk about FU. I can't believe I completely skipped over Peter Drucker last week. That was just unconscionable. unconscionable. I skipped around and did that kind of half-assed explanation of personal productivity. Yeah. And as bad as that was, I still can't believe I skipped over Peter Drucker. So we should do some FU on that at some point. Sorry, sorry, nerds. Um. The problem is that you think about most of our work. We've talked about this, Dan, how hard it is just on the level of like whether you're working on your own or not. There's always going to be more stuff you should, can, might be doing right now. There's always going to be more email. There's always going to be more Twitter. I know this sounds like the same old broken record, but do, I mean, do you really understand that? When you say like when you, when you victoriously yell inbox zero on a Friday – and I cut myself just a little bit, right on the wrist. Uh, <laughs> do you, are you really understanding how, how crazy that is? Because the, that's going to be inbox zero for a second. But the minute you walk away, and this is, this is very fat man, Dan. Like the minute you walk away from that zero inbox, you introduce uncertainty, necessary uncertainty about whether it's still zero. And the chances are it's, it's not zero. This, this, the tolerance that you have for let, that not being zero I think is a big part of whether you can succeed at what you do um, because there'll always be more of everything. You could always work more. You could always be learning more. You could always be watching more videos about what it is you like to do. Do you know what I mean? There's no end to any of that. We've talked about how as a, especially as somebody who works on their own, um, either inside of a company or independently, the amount of your own walls that you have to build, you know, how you could work anywhere. Most of us could work anywhere. You know, you can SSH in and have that same bash profile wherever you go, right? You can just do your stuff wherever you have to go. Uh, you know, Dropbox, as wonderful as Dropbox is, it sure has made it easy for us to potentially be able to do our work anywhere. Um, uh, as a side note, following up on last week, I think that's one reason the context in, in, in David Allen's Getting Things Done are so slippery for people who are knowledge workers. David Allen put that book out in 2001. And even in 2001, that was before ubiquitous Wi-Fi. For example, it was before. I mean, I had a Palm back then. I had like a Palm Five, I think, in in two thousand one. The metal one. 
Yeah, it was sweet. I oh, had a yeah. Palm 7 for a while <laughs> with the giant antenna. It looked kind of like a Newton. It was huge. It was their wireless one. It was very costly, and it had this weird antenna. It already looks very Wall Street to, to, to think about these things. But you didn't have ubiquitous everything. Context, meaning, do I have my phone? Am I at home? Am I at the office? Like, what are I, my opportunities and limitations right now? Um, for mo- that's in, in, you know, in the early days of 43 folders, I would talk about this a lot because those contexts are so great. You slice your projects, you slice your work into projects, which, rep- which represent the outcomes, and then you can laterally, the x-axis for those is the context. So you could say, well, what are all the things I could do for this project? Well, I can't do everything for this project because I'm not in the right place. Well, okay, then what do I have? A piece of paper. Like, what are all the things I could do with a piece of paper? That can be really handy. What can I only do when I'm at the office? Well, again, no matter how high priority it is, if I'm not at the office, it doesn't matter. I can't do it. You know, If my wife isn't here, I can't talk to her unless I'm really nuts. So that scarcity has gone away very quickly. Uh, the scarcity of location. I talked about that book I loved in college, you know, A Sense of Place. We don't, we're, we're not really bound. Uh, like we, most of us, I don't think, are bound like we used to be in terms of what we could be doing. Like you said, you could be responding to Twitter anywhere. You could be checking email anywhere. You could go in and like fix a bug anywhere. And so it's really in some ways up to us to be the gatekeeper for input on on some level, to be the filter, but also to be the one who governs like when we're going to choose to do anything. I think in knowledge work that is a – we can get into this because I personally think this is a very interesting point. But Another of the things that email left to its own devices will take away from us is all of the things that make knowledge workers really good at what they do. You know, we don't control, we don't control the, um, uh, we don't control the relevance of things like email. We don't control the volume. We don't control the, um, the expectations of it. And if we're not real careful about it, we also don't control our agency in terms of when we can walk away from it. Uh, that's just one example. But if you're somebody in, in a business, and I'm not, I'm not ragging you. I mean, I've felt the same way. If you're in an in, in environment where you feel like you can't turn work away or where you're so put upon that you're not even sure where to turn, well, there are a variety of ways to work on that, and almost none of them are easy. They are simple, but they are far from easy. The danger is that there's an accretive quality to letting that stuff continue to stack up. It becomes like, you know, something like this ball of snot, like rolling down a trail and just picking up dirt. You know, it just grows and grows. I guess snowball would be a prettier metaphor. It's like a snowball. It's not. <laughs> I would say that. that out. It's disgusting. It's disgusting. Mm, mm, nose goblins. But you, um, and so if that's just you, well, again, let's go, go back to the old school 43 folder stuff. Well, there's no, you didn't get a class in that, did you? Like, did anybody, back to the vocational wheel, right? Did you ever get a class in how to deal with dotted lines to five people? This is why I call this a black box career that most of us have. We have to do all of the work inside. Of, all the I and all the O is up to us, right? We, it's just a, it's a clean I.O., object-oriented job. Stuff comes in. It's a black box, something happens, magic, magic, and then perfect results come squirting out the other end on time and on budget. And nobody really cares what's happening in the black box because that's all your concern. They hired you because that's your, that's your wheelhouse, right? You can take care of that stuff. But then you also, the sick part or the hard part, I think it's sick, <laughs> is that you have to go deal with, you know what I mean by a dotted line, Dan? You know, like on an org chart? Multiple, you know, where you indirectly report to somebody. Or, or even just interact in mm. some ways. Increasingly, you know, organizations are trying to flatten themselves, usually unsuccessfully, because a lot of it's hard to let go of that military, you know, post-industrial model of, you know, 
Is that model a bad thing? No, it's not a bad thing as long as you treat it like exactly what it is, which is a chain of command. It works in the army or excuse me, in the, you know, in the, any kind of armed services. It works because everybody understands it. it. It's very easy to understand. And they spend a lot of weeks when you first join helping you understand what your role in that is. You are the very lowest brick on a pyramid that's much more important than you. I, and I don't think that's bad at all. I think if you're going to go out and give people guns, and, and tell them to go do things and, and think somewhat independently. But no, I think they really need to understand things like you always have to listen to this guy that's got a, more stripes than you. That always that makes sense. And all you do all day is walk around and express that, I don't want to say status, but that fact that you're, you have this obeisance to people who are higher ranked than you, whether you like them or not, whether you like their order or not. It's called an order for a reason, and it makes sense. They know things you don't. And even if it doesn't matter, you just do it. You do it, right? Um, I think that makes total sense. I think the problem at a place, I'm guessing at a place like Microsoft, is they used to have a system that was pretty close to that. As that pyramid got bigger, as it got more mortar, uh, the ratio of mortar to bricks got higher and higher. Think about something like the EPA. We used to have to deal with the EPA a lot in my old job. And you would have these, totally understandable, right, big agency. But you'd have people whose job it was just to get ready for my second least favorite word of all time, liaise. Like like to to liaise. To liaise. A verb. I can't even believe that's a word, but <laughs> you, you would have your, you know, like the Simpsons, your low cost Mexican, Mexican equivalent. You'd have this person who had your job in another part of the bureau, but it would be, it would be such a specialized, specialized, specialized area. It's almost like, um, the, the guy in, in, uh, office space, whose job it is to carry the specs to the engineers. You have these jobs. There's so much compartmentalization inside of that kind of an organization. Um, the, even on the best of days, well, first of all, just to finish your, the, the question you asked, yeah, I, I think there's nothing wrong with that. I think, I think the problem people run into is when, again, it's a cognitive dissonance and you can have, I think you can really have institutional cognitive dissonance, um, on a lot of levels, but if you're, that's uh, a straw man, but if you're, if you're a company that has made its bones on being that kind of super sturdy pyramid where you understand that that guy with the glasses at the top runs things and you understand that you're at this one point, you know exactly where you are. You know what your title is. You, you know tacitly who has the power to ask that you do things. And you know, if, um, well, I'm sorry, you know explicitly who, who does that. But you also know tacitly what the rules of the game are. You know who it's okay for you to just go talk to and pitch an idea to. I think the problem becomes when you try to emulate a flatter uh, organizational style while still um, keeping in place a lot of the traditions behind that sort of top-down mentality. I don't know if that completely makes sense, but the, the, I'm trying not to be like I am sometimes, <laughs> but she, Microsoft's never going to be Google by buying bagels, let's mm-hmm. put it that way. Just doing somebody's laundry does not turn you into a place where people feel free to talk to each other and don't need permission to inter- innovate. That's, that's not going to do it. It's, it's those superficial kinds of things where you say, hey, make up your own title and you don't have to wear a tie, but you probably should. You know, uh, oh, you know, we're going to have Hawaiian shirt day or whatever. You know, I, I'm not sure who loves that, but I think that just becomes another, now you've got to go in and get a good Hawaiian shirt to look like, you know what I mean? But just don't wear the khaki pants, you know what I mean? Or, 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 or whatever. It's the, there's still that, that feeling of status inside. And if you don't have that culture working from the inside out, you know, like again, the other example being a startup. Not all startups are great. A lot of startups are, you know, dumb or whatever. But I, I don't think they have time for that kind of BS inside of a startup or inside of any kind of a small company. You know, a clock's ticking. 
you know you, you have accepted the scarcity of only being able to do so many things, and there's a really limited number of zeros on your bank account to do it. So I think that gives everybody a lot of focus in a smaller company that I don't want to say you don't have in a bigger company because your team might be doing really great. But there's a at a big place that has that pyramid military kind of structure or, you know, again, a factory sort of structure, I guess, right? Um, what would you call that, I guess? To, to call it top-down doesn't sound right, but bureaucratic, I guess? Yeah, bureau- yeah it well, is. Well, bureaucracy I mean, is, is. Is, doesn't, didn't always have a bad connotation. It's based on the word bureau, right? I think, as in having drawers. It's got, you know, a structure to it. Um, but I think there's a... I, my sense is that there's a built-in... Um, amount of disconnection inside of an organization like that by, by design, you know, um, if you run a Walmart, you want to make sure, I think I've heard people say it specifically about Walmart, but I think it goes for almost any manager inside an organization that is based on that kind of a structure. You never want a problem to leave your store on any level. Meaning, for example, like leave your store. Well, you don't want shrinkage. You don't want people stealing VCRs at night. You don't want your employees stealing. That's called shrinkage, and it's a bigger source of loss, to my knowledge. It's a bigger source of loss than shoplifting because it's way easier to do it at scale. You don't want shrinkage, right? You don't want people stealing stuff uh, walking out the store. You don't want an angry customer walking out of the store. And you certainly don't want a problem based on shrinkage, angry customers, or you know, gross bathrooms or whatever it is. You don't want that to leave your store in the sense of going to your manager. You don't want that to leave your Marriott. You don't want that to leave your Burger King. You want that, you want to be able to resolve that. Your job as a manager is to contain that and take care of it inside the, inside your shop, I think. And, and so if that's the case, well, yeah, there's going to be times where you're going to share intelligence and you're going to, you know, try and work with other people, but there's a built-in competition between everybody who's got a store at your level, and there's a built-in incentive to kind of not say things to the person above you that you don't need to say to that person, I think, right? I mean, in some ways, we talked about being an information janitor where if you do your job right, nobody even knows you work there, and they only notice it when the toilet's back up. I think that's how a lot of organizations work. And in a typical top-down organization, I think, forgive me, I'm talking out of my butt on a lot of this, but I think this is kind of true. In most organizations, you have occasional, you can have a one-on-one, you have some kind of a meeting with your colleagues and certainly with your, you know, the people that you report to, and you kind of let them know how it's going. You know, to quote Don Rorator in the wonderful Brain Candy movie, so where do we stand with that? You mean that thing you just mentioned a minute ago? Yeah. Where do we stand with that? <laughs> One of the all-time great lines. <laughs> Don't you think, Dan? You, so you go in and you're a, uh, you know, you're a, you're a foot soldier okay. in, the arm, in, the, in the army of company. And, and you, uh, you go out and you do your stuff. And then somebody comes in and says, hey, so how's that going? Are we, you know, are we where we need to be with this? Da, 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 da. Do you need help? Da, da, da. And you report to them. They, in a representational way, gather all of that intelligence from all the different people who are doing it. You solve problems where you can. You head off problems before they come up, hopefully. But then also, you want to be the conduit for that information and progress reports going to the people above you in every way, Right. You wouldn't want, if you lead a team, let's say you work on some team that <clears throat> does the Python help system for this one part of Google, I guess, or whatever. If something's going horribly wrong and it's throwing a lot of errors, if you're getting these weird exceptions and nobody knows why, like you, you kind of don't want like Larry to notice that. right? If Larry's doing a demo and he says, hey, check out our help system, and, and you get some kind of really you know, taciturn error page, like Larry's not going to be happy. And every person between you and Larry is not going to be happy to. So 
the, I guess what I'm trying to say is that the black box, you can have, a, I guess in some ways you have a black box inside of a black box. You may not know everything your manager knows. You've talked about this, Dan, how we always, we sometimes wonder if our managers are kind of doing the best things because we don't have all the information. This episode of Back to Work is sponsored by MailChimp. Free for a list of up to 2,000 subscribers and 12,000 emails per month. They've got great templates you can customize or you can build your own. And if you're a blogger, you can set up an RSS newsletter to be published automatically. Sign-up forms, autoresponders, reports, they've got it all and it's a cinch to use. Just check them out at MailChimp.com. Did you step away? You stepped no, away. I never did. stepped away. You did. You closed the door. I heard it. I didn't. Are they vacuuming there? Not anymore. There was some kind of, it didn't sound like a regular vacuum. It sounded like a, like one of those stain removing vacuums, like the, somebody, you know, spilled something and it had to be, you know, you used the wet, the wet and dry vac. You think there was like a, like a crime scene type situation? I thought it's something I wanted to talk to you about. Yeah. Shop vac. No. Anyway, scarcity. Scarcity is acknowledging that whether you want it to be this way or not, there are limited amounts of stuff out there. And certainly there's limited amounts of money. We all get that on some level. Um, uh, on a slightly more subtle level, I think we get uh, intellectually that there's limited amounts of time. Time is what I was going to say is the most scarce. Let's come, yeah, let's do that. Well, I, I, I will make an argument that attention is even more scarce. Um, it's very related, but that's, to me, that's, so to the folks who are, who are suffering from that, I, maybe Dan, maybe before, oh man, are we trying to do this in an hour? Is that a thing you're trying to no, do now? No, Good. Excellent. Excellent. Okay. So before we leave today though, let's round back, remind me or somebody, if, if you want, I'd love to round back and talk about troubleshooting 27 priorities. Okay. No, like in a practical way, like, like in a, like what you might be able to do to actually make that a little better. Um, time. Time is scarce. Hmm. Limit. It's a limited quantity. And the last Atari is mixed up and blind. <laughs> Have you I didn't seen recognize that? that. You didn't? I didn't recognize. I didn't recognize it. At Do you know all. who's who makes a little cameo in that movie? I, I was. You know, I was doing that diagram really quick. So yeah, now, that was a good was diagram. It, is it is it Edie Edie McClurg? Pee Wee Herman. Oh, I love Pee Wee. Makes a little it. cameo in that movie as a, as the guy who runs the arcade dispensing uh, quarters from his uh, from these sort of six shooters. Is this pre pre Blues Brothers or, or post movie theater? Post, post post movie theater. Oh, well, really? No, this was this okay, had no. I thought it was nineteen eighty. I thought they Alex said it was P. Keaton. Well, who was the kid that played him? Uh, Michael, Michael Michael J. Fox. Fox. Michael P. Fox. He I was think he was yeah. one of the main guy. He was like a kid in this movie. Pre Teen Wolf. Yeah. Oh well. Yeah. Pre Family Ties. Family Ties. Pre Family Ties. Yeah. I would go so far as to say maybe this got him on Family Ties. Right. Was Justine Bateman on that show? Yes. She's a handsome woman. She has a Tumblr, you know. Does she really? How old yeah. is she now? Gorgeous. Is that a number? It's a, you're hmm. saying she's ti- a timeless beauty. Yeah, sure. Why not? I thought of something I wanted to talk to you about. Time? Stress. Mm. Oh, excellent topic. Maybe too yeah. much? No, not at all. I it, it kind of um, ties into this because so it's funny you should say that because I yeah, whatever we don't want to get all Buddhism. But I read um, on our way back from the in-laws last night. Um, uh, my lady was driving, and I read. I've been reading the Bonte G book. <clears throat> pardon me for like a third time. Your lady friend and, or your special lady? Well, <clears throat> uh, she's pretty special, but not not in a weird way, not in a coded way. <laughs> she does real well. No, she's special. She's real special. She's she's our special little girl. Um, 
Um, um, um, reading Bonti G. G. Yeah. Tell 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 people in in six seconds what that is. Bonti G is a, uh, a Theravada Buddhist uh, Buddhist monk, writer, and teacher, and he has uh, a book that we recommend a lot on this show, and I recommend in general, uh, which is called Mindfulness in Plain English. It's a great way to understand a lot of the topics uh, that we talk about that that are or verge on Buddhism. And he has a yeah. new, he has another book out called I think it's called Eight Mindful Steps to Happiness, which talks more about the Eightfold Path. It's like a, a, a oh, follow nice. up to the I first need book. That. Hey, you know what? Can somebody be vice president in charge of writing things down for us? Should that can can you make Josh, Josh is almost like a staffer, right? Can you? Can, yeah, can, oh, he is. Yeah, really. Well, I mean, almost he got, like you know, he got me. He got me an account on the wiki. Did you know that? Yes, I did. I started updating our page. I know it's great. I haven't read his email yet, but I, I told him what I wanted. It's too to long. Know. That's why he doesn't know how to write a short email. So all of his strengths—that's his flaw. Yeah, I thought you were talking about me. Which gets us back. <laughs> which gets us back to the book. Stress. Stress too. But uh, Bonti G, boy, it's a heck of a book. And just, just uh, oh, so my my idea captured this. Um, uh, Summer book club. Not a dumb way, but we should we, we like we talk about books a lot, and it would be fun to get beyond the, the the twelve books we always mention. And given that it's summer and people do this kind of crap, we should talk about uh, books we really like and suggest to the nerds that they tell us what books they really like, uh, and uh, and talk about you know stuff in context with this show, stuff that would be orthogonal that people might enjoy. Well, is that a good idea? Not not now, but later. That's Very yes, absolutely. You capture that? I just uh, recorded it. Hmm. 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 I think you're supposed to ask my permission before you do that. That's okay. You know, whatever. I'll send. I'll send some documents for you to sign, and the and the rest of the uh, procurement forms. <laughs> I have uh, been rereading it, and boy, uh, just in passing, whether or not you're super into all this eye rolling uh, fruity crap we talk about, and it is, it's very fruity. Uh, I like that book a lot because uh, I, I've always said I, I I'm attracted to Buddhism because there's so much practicality to it, and practicality it, just in the sense of here's a bunch of stuff that you can really do differently. And it isn't just like the Merlin stuff about, oh, blah, blah, philosophy, go think differently. It really is. It's about a way to, to potentially try and conduct your life in a way that'll just cause less trouble for everybody, including you. And I think his book is really good at that. It's, although it is um, on the face of it, and really a lot of it is about meditation, I think it's really good because it isn't just a how-to book about how to sit down Although that, that is in there, and he explains why you sit down and why you sit down in a certain way and why you can't, I guess, you know, smoke. Uh, it's all in there, and, and it's really sensible. It could have used a little bit of copy editing, copy editing, I think. Or maybe I just got a badly scanned version, but it's really good, and I would put it up there with Steve Hagen's um, mm. Buddhism, Plain and Simple, and the book, worst title ever for a book that I enjoyed, John Kabat-Zinn's uh, Wherever You Go, There You Are. <laughs> Isn't that the worst? Yeah, it's a bad. terrible. It's bad. Have, have you read it? No. I've read oh, excerpts of it, and I've heard him speak. He did a good, uh, you know, like I did that Tech Talk for uh, Inbox Zero. Yeah. He did a Google, Google Tech Talk that's really good. So if you Google for, I think it's J-O-N, Cabot, K-A-B-A-T, uh, hyphen Zin, Z-I-N-N, correct? Sounds right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been reading that, and... Uh, what do you think of, the, of, of his stuff? Of uh, Bonnie G? No, uh, Zin, Cabot Zin. I... I'm really, really intrigued on, on a number of levels. And let's just first just let's stipulate Tom, Tom the Shrink, who's a very, very gifted uh, guy. He's, you know, published like books that are on Amazon and stuff. 
And he, uh, I think, I think he's pretty skeptical of, you know what? I'm not going to speak for him. I think a lot of people are skeptical about whether, how much you can help people who are very ill with something like mindfulness meditation, which is what John Kabat-Zinn does. He's actually, to my knowledge, and, and let me just quote my friend Marco here. I'm doing this off the cuff. I'm not going to go wiki this, so <laughs> forgive me for the things I miss. But John, uh, John Kabat-Zinn, I believe, I want to say Massachusetts, maybe. Uh, I want to I say somewhere in Cambridge. I could be wrong. But I believe what he does, oh, for the love of Christ, hit your damn computer. That's why I have a computer, idiot. Um, could you sing a little song for a second? I like listening to the typing of your keys. If memory serves, he was born, I want to say in 1944. It's during the summer, uh, June 5th. That's right. Yeah. Uh, University of Massachusetts Medical School. He's a student of Zen Master Seung San. Uh, he teaches mindfulness meditation as a technique to help people cope with stress, anxiety, pain, and illness. Well, specifically, he works with people who are really ill, like people who have pretty bad cancer and stuff. And he's, uh, he's not, obviously, it's, it's part of a uh, more comprehensive you know, well-rounded therapy. Like I say, <laughs> you don't stop seeing the oncologist because you see the meditator guy. But uh, he helps people to use mindfulness meditation. Is mindfulness meditation synonymous no. with... Vi- not, Vipassana is not synonymous with Vipassana that. is... Vipassana. Vi- Vipassana? It, Who am I thinking of? Who uh, is that? That's a, that's a grunge band from the, the early 90s. Oh, yeah. I saw, I saw them uh, open for, for Toe one time. Yeah, you mean so, Toad? It's pronounced Toad the Wet Sprocket. No, no, no. That's that's past tense. That's their old band. Oh. Yeah, some some of the Crocodile Club. Um, and so he helps people. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah. So mindfulness meditation or insight meditation or vipassana are. You could argue that they're one and the same thing. They, there might be a subtle difference, but it's it's not critical. And the thrust of the Bonte G book, we'll get, we're getting to stress, believe it or not, but um, is, I don't know, it's such a nice, gentle um, introduction, not, to, not, not even just, I wouldn't, even, I wouldn't call it an introduction to Buddhism, exactly. The Steve Hagen book, Buddhism, right, what did I say it's called? Uh, Buddhism Plain and Simple. Yeah. Uh, what, you know, what is it with the, with the Buddhists and, and the terrible titles? He has another book called Buddhism is Not What You Think. Ah. Uh. That's, that's, you know what the English call that? Too clever by a half. Mm-hmm. Mm. Where you go? There you are. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, it reminds me of the little frog, the uh, Michigan rag frog. Hello, my baby. Yeah. Hello, my honey. <laughs> I hope that's being preserved in its own cornerstone time capsule somewhere. Because that's maybe one of the greatest oh, yeah. cartoons of all time. It's beautifully drawn. Ah. Beautiful, and you know the story. It's a story about life, Dan Benjamin. You don't you know need to, you don't need to understand a word of English to appreciate it in its entirety. Uh, I also like the part at the end where it's the future. Yeah, really like. and the way he the way he's getting rid of the building. He's laser just laser beam with us is like like laser like a laser thing. beam that just eats away. Man, Very those cool. those those cartoons are violent. My kid can't watch those. She can't. Can 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 your uh, kid do uh, Warner Brothers? Can you do oh yeah, Indian? loves them. <sighs> just like me. Loves loves Totoro. Uh, loves uh, Laputa. Loves uh, Iron Giant right now, but Kipper. man, I see. I Kipper is a little down market. I Arnold. That's my impersonation of uh, Arnold. Isn't it funny though that the that the pig, who's theoretically older, is named Pig, and his nephew is named Arnold. Yeah. You ever think about that dimension? I have not. It's a toad, not a frog. <sighs> so uh, mindfulness. 
there's, a, there's a lot of people. A lot of people. A lot of people. Be, I'm just gonna say tuned into this whole mindfulness thing now since we've been talking about it. Really? Yeah, I get a lot of email. A lot of people email me about it or hit me up on Twitter. Dan Benjamin, I'm gonna start reading our email <clears throat> more because I, I really, I don't know. I, are you a reliable witness, Dan Benjamin? You, you do, you, do you, do you provide when you provide these? Are you providing? A, a, a cross section of what people are saying. You're, you're not telling me when people say mean things, right? No. Like, I have an email selected I wanted to read a uh, read a little bit of to you. A little Is that a mean one? Snippet. A mean one or a nice no, one? No, it's not a mean one. I mean, it's open up. Yeah. I think stress is a great topic, and I think it's, uh, especially given that it's 52 minutes into this. Oh, actually not. We started late. Uh, it's a great follow-up to last week's marathon episode. I think stress is, is also is a great follow-up. I'll, I'll read you the good part of this email. Oh, Jesus, you drive me nuts. This is from Brian. He says, yes, you can mention his name, Brian McAfee. And uh, the last line of the email is the only one I think we need to, you need to hear. And it says, the last episode was a masterpiece. I had to listen to it twice. You're making oh. a difference in my life. Thank you. Oh, I, you know, his name's not super familiar. I think I saw him on the Twitter. <clears throat> I don't need to read the rest of his email because that's the only part I really liked. <sighs> was the rest mean? No. Did he give you notes? He has a lot of notes. This is a long email. What's the nature of his notes? Well, he, he's talking about our discussion of priorities. He says he was reminded of his first job out of college and the advice a senior leader in the organization gave to junior people. He said, what, what interests the boss fascinates the hell out of me. He didn't want us to be yes men, but wanted us to fit our priorities into our boss's vision. And told us we'd be successful. He says, we, uh, we were Air Force officers providing communication services to a base. What was important to the base commander was keeping the airplanes flying. The commander couldn't give, and I'm going to have to censor something because he's, you know, foul-mouthed a young man. Yeah, hey, well, you know, you get that in the service. The so. commander couldn't, couldn't Could, care about servers. A, didn't give a poo-poo. Didn't give a poop about servers or radios or telephones. He just wanted all those things to work, and that was our job. So when you talked about priorities... And said that you know a priority, uh, you know it's a priority if it gets done. You're right. The base commander didn't want to know about return on investment on telephone switch parts. He just wanted the phone at the alert helicopter facility to ring. Everything we did had to be in service to that mission. The details were ours to figure out. And he says, I'm hinting at the ideas of alignment and empowerment. Our organization was empowered to do what was necessary to make that alert telephone ring. If it didn't, we failed. That's what sets priorities. I think it's great, and it's uh, to be jumping ahead a little bit. That's a great example of, of how to <clears throat> think in a slightly different way about your twenty-seven priorities in such a way that what to do will become really obvious. Because I, I totally agree. And let me just point out: uh, Wow, is he a Navy SEAL? I think he was. Wow. I don't know don't, that he was a SEAL. I just Google him. I think he um, was he a Navy SEAL. I'm not gonna mess with him. They got nice watches. You know what they make you do in that? They make you go. They they tie up your your hands and your feet with like a little easily breakable, I don't know if it's a piece of a string or twine, but it's e- like any, even, even you and I could break out of this. Mm-hmm. It's not meant to be difficult to break. It's very easy to break. And then they, they put you underwater and you sit there underwater in the pool in the middle of the night at like 3 a.m. after being awake for like 48 hours. And you have to do this weird like you sit underwater and then you kind of po- you bob up for air and you come back down. But the whole point is to get your body and mind to the point where you will uh, your you, panic of fear of drowning 
will set in. And Mm -hmm. this is an overwhelming fear that for most regular people, it's such a powerful urge to go and take a breath that you will you will go and take a breath it just no matter how much you don't want to and part of their training is to overcome that physical urge because the reality is you're not going to drown you can actually hold your breath much longer uh, and and working past that but yeah, like your, it, your autonomic system doesn't know that though. right it wants to take over and force you to do it so you have to like overcome this somehow and if you break the little the little string, which you can do easily, if you break it or in the process and it, you're not controlled, your movements aren't, you're out of the program, out of the program. You're done. You mm-hmm. walk, you're home. You get to start from square one again. You do that twice, you're gone. This episode of Back to Work is brought to you by MailChimp. MailChimp also asked me to write a rock opera about Dan. Here is part four. That was Home Invasive, part four of Sometimes There's a Man, a rock opera about Dan Benjamin, commissioned by our friends at MailChimp. MailChimp. They sponsored this episode, and then they totally asked us to write a rock opera, because that's just how they roll. MailChimp. Mm, it's like kung fu with the rice paper. That's good. That's such I, a good... That's wow. good. Wow. We could that's talk really, about kung fu the rest of the time. I love if you kung want. fu. You know, that was supposed to be Bruce Lee. I know. It's so interesting to think about how that would have been different. So weird. I can't imagine it. Autoerotic. Um, <laughs> you, had to, you had to go there. Yeah, the string was meant to break. Nobody told him. <laughs> um, okay, because why? Because uh, this is true of anybody. It's not anybody, but my, well, from what I understand, especially with Marines, especially with SEALs, especially with any of these um, that the Bin Laden team or whatever. Like anybody who, who the, the idea is to like break you down into becoming a soldier on some level, right? But then the all, idea is also to make you like a Rottweiler, where you're smart enough to follow every order except when you don't have any guidance and you need to go decide what to do, 
right? And Rottweilers are smart enough to do that. The Rottweiler run your house if you, <laughs> if you let them. And same thing with somebody like a Navy SEAL, right? Mm. Um, well, okay, so that person, you know what they've got? Empowerment. <laughs> and they didn't ask for it. Um, the person who I think in most places, if you've got a good boss, especially the person who's most likely to get interesting work and to get noticed and to get moved up is not somebody who sees themselves as a passive receptacle for work that they may or may not understand. Is that, is that, is that a sensible statement? Oh, First yeah. of all, I mean, do those words make sense? I wasn't sure if that word. Yes, word. the words okay. make sense. <clears throat> and I think if you're, if you're feeling like you've got 27 intractable priorities or 28, you might have 30 by now. It's been a few minutes. Um, I think one problem is you might be looking at yourself as a more passive receptacle than you really are. If you really just start thinking of yourself as a bowl that somebody throws their pennies in, you know, well, in that instance, I think that's, that's interesting. The military, you know, here's, a, here's the goal. The goal is follow orders, except here's what we've got to do with this, and then come back to me, you know, when you're doing that thing. I love that idea of working for a boss that would say, well, you know, we have our meeting periodically, and, like, we all know this is the direction that we're walking. Jeff Veen has talked about this. One of the things he loved about Google was the fact that, you know, there, there weren't, yeah, I mean, obviously there were trade secret stuff they, you know, did, wouldn't tell the public, but, you know, um, was Sergey and Larry would, would get up there like every Friday and, and like remind people like, here's what we're doing. Here's what we're working toward. And, and, and apparently, at least then, not in this total BS way, but where everybody would go, okay, I, you understand the, what I've heard referred to as marching orders. Like you understand where, what direction we're all walking in. And, I, you know, everybody has a shared vision of that. And if your team has that shared vision, well, so, so first of all, maybe don't think of yourself as a receptacle for other people just throwing stuff. Because even if they're throwing you great stuff, you're not going to be able to do it all. And the irony is then, of course, that makes you a bad employee because you're not going to do any of that stuff particularly well. So, I mean, one troubleshooting bit for that, I think, is to, this is going to take practice. And I'm personally not that great at this. But, you know, we talked about, remember the, in the, what was it, uh, S1E5? Well, a good one, the Chigger Bites one, where we're, we went into that thing where we, we started, you know, talking about that's fine for Merlin and then and, and like um, just this idea of what's the point I'm trying to make you you when people when people throw stuff at you you can elect to just take it exactly as they phrased it and try with every fiber of your being and thinking and the experience to try and make sense out of something completely bananas that somebody says to you so when I go to you and I ask you how to, why this, you know, hello world.pl is not opening in Rails, and then I only will accept a yes or no answer. You know what I mean? Do you know what I mean, Dan? Like yes. that's, that's kind of, is it fair to say that's, I'm sure there's a way. So there's a module you can get on CPAN. Like there's, but that's kind of an impossible <laughs> thing, right? You're not going to have a lot of longevity running a Perl script in Rails, probably, right? You, you would do better to say to that person, well, let me take a step back and help you ask a better question. Right. Right. Um, I want to say something, but I probably shouldn't. Do it. Let's hear uh, it. No, I don't want to spoil this, guys. Come on, do it. Well, go. Uh, there's a thing Thank I was. There's a thing I was using that involves, you know, an ask meta filter style, asking a question and then people give you answers. And I told the person who's making it. Hey, you know what would make this, in my opinion, even better, given that there will be a lot of nerds using this site? I think this would also be interesting on something like Stack Overflow or, or what have you, is um, really interesting. And I, you'd want to test it because I don't know if this would work. But normally you go in and you ask a question. 
on one of these boards, whether it's Ask Metafilter or whatever. You go in and you ask a question. And then there's, of course, there's some snark. There's some people who are super helpful. But, you know, it's on a lot of those sites, the main thing that happens for a bunch of the thread is dressing the person down because of the way they ask it or you should have Googled this or, or what have you. And I was thinking on a site based on asking a question and then getting answers, it'd be really cool to have some little bit you can flip that almost, I want to say forks the question, but it lets you say your response is not just an answer, like an A to that Q. It's a reframe. And you say, let me suggest a better question. And then you answer that question. So if somebody comes in and goes, how do I open... Why can't I open helloworld.pl with this with my Rails program? You go, well, a better question to ask, <laughs> you know, really what you're trying to do is you're probably asking the wrong question because you're trying to open a, a Perl script inside of Rails. Uh, you know, here's some things to check if you're, you know what I mean? But some way to reframe it so you'd say, well, you know, you don't know, and you're implicitly saying you don't really know enough about what I'm an expert in for me to even answer that even if I'm the nicest person in the world. Because it's, it's, not a, it's not a, like, if, like, let's say if I said to you, like, which peanut butter is best when you're on paleo? Well, no, no peanut butter is good if you're on paleo. Exactly. So the right question is, what kind of thing can I yeah, put like on? I a- love, I, well, one, another question might be, I love peanut butter. Is there anything that I could use as a substitute when I'm on paleo? Do you like almond well, butter? I like almond butter. There you go. But, you know, it could be for food allergies, whatever. But does yeah. that, okay, so first of all, does that kind of make sense? Yeah. Like sometimes you really want to say to somebody, rather than going either uh, A, you give them an incorrect answer that they won't understand, or B, just go, you're a jerk. To be really helpful to somebody, you have to use your expertise to say, let's make this good for both of us, a teachable moment for both of us. And I, I will, I'll be happy to answer the question that I think you might mean. You know, and it doesn't have to be in, in like a jerk way. Well, if you're a knowledge worker, a big part of your job is like you know stuff, right? You know things, you have experience, you know enough to know that Perl and Rails are, are kind of different things. Just ask JSER. Um, Can you believe he writes Perl? Every time I think of it, it's just so funny. I can't believe he defends Perl the way he does. It's weird. It's great. Perl swell. I mean, from what I can gather, you know what? You know what? Pearl it's like somebody good. defending leaded gasoline. Like poured out of a polar bear. Yeah. Uh, somebody comes to you and you've got your N number of projects. Let's say you're nearing capacity and somebody comes to you and, you know, it's almost like in some kind of, you know, nine to five, like, like, or like a bad commercial, for, you know, where somebody just drops that huge pile of paper on your desk. If somebody comes in and tries to hand you, hand you something that's this huge project and, and then says, well, here's this thing you've got to do. Um, if you don't have time to do it and you just say, okay, boss, I don't think you're doing anybody any favors. Um, I think that one in, one out approach is not a bad idea. And this is why with, with clients in the past when I did more like, you know, website type stuff, they come in and say, well, hey, I need this tomorrow, da 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 And then I would say, well, you know, I've actually got stuff I ha- I'm already working on that's due for the next three days, so I wouldn't be able to do it. Well, you know, why don't you bump them? And I'll say, okay, well, is it cool if I bump yours if somebody asks me the same thing? Because what makes you so great? What makes you so special that you're this new client and you want me to go and bump my regular clients when you're this unknown quality who obviously has no respect for either me or my clients? Mm. So what am I going to do? I'm going to go listen to your urgency and move all this work from good clients off my desk to like set this terrible precedent with you? Again, that's fine for Merlin. But I think setting that expectation is not a bad idea. So what does that have to do with being a, a bull? Uh, when somebody comes in and gives you 
a project that's way more than you can handle alone and or uh, poorly not unless you know what let's be nice about this if somebody comes in and hands you a big project i think it's not unreasonable or uncollegial to say oh okay well can you tell me a little bit uh, about the project because i i want to help you with this but i want to understand like what what you're doing here like what what's your goal you know the project management triangle right like what's uh what are your constraints what what are your resource constraints what are your time constraints what are your quality constraints all those things that it's helpful to understand you don't have to voidir them in a way that's that like really is off putting but the question i think you're ultimately trying to land on for yourself mm-hmm. like, god i so learned this from my old boss richard um have you really thought this through and can i trust you can i trust your assessment of what this is and whether i'm the best person to do it because I may be really good at helping you with one part of this, and I may not figure that out for six days if I have to read everything in this pile. If it turns out that really only this one thing is the super important thing we need by Friday for the Henderson presentation, well, that's good for me to know. Like, I'll know where to focus my resources. I'll be able to help. We can sort of negotiate the best way for this to be non-disruptive to both of us and to make the best use of both our times. And we both learn a little bit about how each other works. And you don't have to sit there and sing kubaya and, you know, give each other a hand job. This is just the way adults act. You just, you just talk to each other in these kinds of situations, I think. Um, and so if you've got this 27 priorities, well, I wonder if part of that is that you have become a bowl that people just put stuff in. And I wonder if you're being as effective as you might be. Because, you know, again... Did you hesitate to use that word effective? I hate that word. Why? I hate it. What's it mean? No, I'm not not in a mean way, but tell me, what's effective mean? I think effective means it's kind of of somewhere between productive... And elegant? And, well... It's it's got an elegance to it, right? That means you're doing it in a way that's... um, Efficient. (sighs) Correct. Wise. Yeah. Excellence. Boat. Mm-hmm. Is there an excellence module you can get from CPAN? Uh, I should ask JSER. CPAN. Talking to um, JSER is like uh, accessing CPAN on the command line. Yeah. You know how there's like, a CPAN prompt? Is there a Ray Romano AI? Is that like a, is that like a bot? I don't know. Yeah, that is. cleared for Coke. Wow. I love that guy. When he was on Dr. Katz, best work he ever did. I think Dr. Katz. That little therapist. animated, the animated. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Squiggle vision. I think that brought out, by the way, the, the way that I always imagine you look nice today as, in a, as a visual. As looking like Dr. Katz. I, <laughs> I, um, can you see that? Like the three of us around a table, like we're having a meeting and Scott's leading the meeting. Oh, is that, wait a minute. That's the show you do with, uh, with Sandy. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. he's so I, I think good. We, I, think we, I think we still do it. I love I, him. Yeah. No, I thought that show was done. I, you know what, I... It's been a long time since there was an episode. I've pretty much unsubscribed and figured it was done. Yeah, I lost you for a second there. I, um, (laughs) see, this was almost useful, and then we shucked and jived. Uh, The the guy, the Navy SEAL guy. He's effective. Well, he's he's a grown-up, is what he is, and... and Effective means it works. Yeah, but, okay, so let's, let's, let's get the adjectives aside for a second if you've got all this stuff and, and you're wondering like well first of all go back and, and maybe on double speed shame on you listen to last oh, week's episode don't. I think the last third of that was pretty good don't you think that turned out pretty good 
Dan, are you there? The whole show is good. I don't, I don't hear this. Yeah. But the priority thing, it, it's, I think it's very difficult to do even okay work, let alone really good work, if you haven't accepted that sense of scarcity. Because you, you aren't going to be able to understand your work in context if, if you don't understand all the um, – what's, what's, that, what's that phrase? Um, the uh, forces, you know what I mean? Like, what do they call that in uh, in decision making in business? All the, uh, but anyway, there's all these influences, different confluences. Yeah, something. There's a uh, force multipliers. No, that's not it. But you've got all these vectors. different things. Sure, vectors. Yeah, that's that uh, that airplane movie. You're thinking of the Vectrex. No, I think you're thinking of Mission Impossible. That's the one, Peter. Peter Graves. Peter Graves. Is that his name? Uh, Peter Gunn was a detective show, right? But it's, it's, you're it's, thinking uh, of Maxwell Smart. No, 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 no. Iron Giant's the one who's not a gun. He's not a gun. My daughter loves that line. I had the choice. Mm. Oh, God, it's so great. That's such a, so great. When he flies into the thing, it's so good. And the little, I like the bolt at the end. I love the little screw. Yeah. Love it. You think that ending was tacked on? I, I have to feel that Brad Bird couldn't have possibly let it end on, a, on I know, anything I know. but an upbeat mode. I know, but it feels a little Brazil. I, I like it, and I'm sure glad my kid gets that resolution. But uh, it's because he can, and he makes it look like he smiles a little bit. It breaks my heart. It's so sweet. But there's a part of me that feels like everything after a statue is a little bit tacked on. Mm-hmm. Such a good a little thing. rushed. Yeah, you should watch Totoro. What is? How do you spell that? Toad called my neighbor Totoro, and uh, Toad? it's T O T O R O. Okay. In, in, in English, C Z E. Except me high. Because you're not going to be good at pretty much anything if you've got so much stuff that you can think of as a priority, you can think about it as anything. I just think if your box is full of blocks, it's hard to do really good stuff. Um, and not, you know, not least of which, it's going to be hard when, when good new stuff comes along. If you're already at capacity, you're not going to have room to put that in. Well, um, your boss wants you, whether you're a good boss, whether he or she realizes it, excuse me, or not, they want you to educate them as well. Uh, a, g- a good boss, that information in those the sort of arrows only point one way, right? From boss to you, how, where do we stand on that? But a really good boss will take your note and go, hey, just so you know, um, I've got these five things from, let's, again, let's remember, probably from three different people who aren't talking to each other. You know, you just remember, you're the only gatekeeper for this. You're the only one that gets, gets to like, has to negotiate all these stuff most of the time. If you are just getting a pile of paper from one person, in some ways you're lucky <laughs> because you have that one person who can go, oh, if they have any intelligence, they can go, I see, I've given you too much stuff. You're not going to do a great job with this. Um, but if you do find yourself in that position of having more stuff than you can do, not being sure what you should do first. See, again, now think about the procrastination. Like for me, one sick part of procrastination is I, I start... It's not a question of having too much stuff to do. It's a question of feeling like you have too much stuff to do. Because busy people tend to be pretty good at not getting wound up in the meta stuff. Busy people, I, um, my, uh, my girlfriend's uh, roommate in college, a new college most people would take like four or five classes because they're pretty intense. She had a total of eight units of stuff she was doing. She had five classes, plus she was a TA, plus she did all this stuff. And I was like, Susie, I don't understand like how you do any of this. Well, first of all, I don't understand anything about organic chemistry, like let alone how you'd be a TA in that. But she was like, well, I just always know what I have to do. I, I always know what the next thing I have to do. She never has to sit around and go, 
oh, I accidentally signed up for 35 classes that are important. Well, if you sign up for 35 classes, you're not going to do a great job in any of them. You know, if you really care about three, four, five of those, you're going to need to drop 31 classes, <laughs> right? If you're in college, you would get that. Yeah. You know, that, that you could have more stuff than you can even keep track of without feeling, you know, and again, think about this. It's not unlike juggling in some ways. You're going to have to constantly keep checking in on all these things. And there's a little bit of overhead with each one of those. There's a little bit of overhead to everything that you add. Do you remember that? Uh, just not to, not to go too private. But remember that thing I said to you like uh, a few months ago, Dan? Oh, you totally. That, <laughs> that one of my goals is to start making a lot more money from a lot fewer people. Right. Because um, I think the, the, the you know, the, well, not the corollary, but the opposite of that is where you're trying to run around and, and chase a buck with, with people who don't really want to spend it. And it's so hard to work with folks like that. As nice as they might be if, if they're super tight with the buck. Well, instead, like, like I said to you and like I said to our pal, like I want to start having relationships personally. I want to have relationships with people that only the two of us could have with each other. I want to give you something that only I could give you. And I want you to be somebody who like, you might be the only person who would want to pay for that, for example. Instead of trying to find, instead of figuring out how to change myself to make people who don't want to pay for stuff like me, I'd rather wait a little bit and then only work with people who are really excited to be working with me. And goddamn, I'm really happy to be working with them. And I'm going to give them everything that I've got. So, you know, what am I going to do now? I'm going to, I'm like, I'm going to like not do stuff for somebody who I found that relationship with so that I can go chase this other stuff. Um, no. That's a little lizard brainy. I know, yeah. I know but you got to. I mean, you got to make a buck. But I'm just saying in this instance, like how, how would you ever get to, to where you can see your work like that? And where you can understand that taking five classes is going to make you smarter than taking 35 classes. Or buying one Big Bertha is probably plenty for right now instead of trying to buy 20. And I think that takes a really extraordinary, even if you don't have, let's say you don't have that cool boss. Let's say you really feel stuck. Well, you know, maybe you need to ask a different question. You know, <laughs> but if you want to stay where you are, well, do you want another 10 years of that? Do you want another 10 years of feeling that stress of feeling so disconnected from, from like why you ever wanted that job? Do you remember why you wanted that job? Well, obviously you wanted it because you want to get paid. You probably wanted to have a chair and a desk and stuff, but like, how far are you from what you thought that was going to be? And then on the other end of that, how far are you from what would make you feel whole? And like, you're doing something that aligns with like how you want to think because my brain does not work well when I have to keep all of that stuff top of mind. And, and you've been in this position, Dan. You've been stressed out. You've had too much work. You said you, you said yourself you used to take crap work for no money. And then you, right? Didn't you? Oh, yeah. The oh, yeah. It's very stressful. It's very stressful. I took any, any project I could get, didn't matter how little they wanted to pay or even if I knew I wouldn't be able to, I, you know, wouldn't be able to figure it out and have to call in somebody to get help. Didn't matter. Needed to pay I, those I didn't, bills. I'd end up apologizing and agreeing to do it for free by the end of most calls Jeez. and then feeling bad about it and then cursing myself in the middle of the night that I had more than I could do. Well, there's always going to be people who want you to do stuff for free. There's always going to be more stuff. There's always going to be somebody who's going to keep giving you stuff until you say, hang on a second. You know, and maybe you're not going to be as fancy as me, but the thing I try to say to somebody, if somebody, like I said before, if somebody wants me to do something and I don't think it's, I don't think it's reasonable what they're asking me to do. I will tell them the truth, which is to say that I will not be able to do a good job for you if I do it on these terms. So when somebody comes in and drops that stack of papers on your desk, as you hear that thud resonating through your office full of other projects, you might want to really ask yourself, are you going to be the job, able to do the job that you're proud of? 
by just accepting that as is? Or do you want to say, hang on a minute, let me grab a piece of paper and let's spend a couple of minutes just quickly talking about what it is, how it is that you want to do this. And I'm not saying your job has to be just people dropping paper. This could be in meetings. Um, I think asking questions is just, asking questions is, is not a bad thing. You can ask too many questions. You can ask wrong questions. Uh, sure. But I think in general, um, it shows people that you're listening for one thing when you ask questions. If somebody comes in and goes blah, 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 and you're really listening to what they're saying, you may hear things that they didn't realize. You may unpack dependencies they hadn't thought about. And if you've, anybody out there, any of you nerds that are engineers, programmers, developers, if, you're, if you've ever had a job where somebody where that's just a button guy comes in, you understand the value of walking that's just a button guy through how it's not really a button. Because once he's handed you the thing where he says that's just a button, like now it's up to you to make that a button. Regardless of whether your database is set up for that, regardless of whether anybody has done any of the, of the um, IA or eventually the UI for any of that, like now that's all yours because you tacitly agreed that his banana's approach to this thing was actually reality. And now it's your problem instead of his. So pushback does not have to be a negative thing where pushback is a negative way to put it. But I so learned that from my old boss, Richard Ramsey. He was just the best. I've told you this. I used to go in there when I was just a button guy and go like, I've told you the story, right, Dan, where I would go in and just go like, okay, here's this thing. You know, I cut up the buttons like you like them in Cyber Studio and like it's all ready to go. Have I told you these stories before? Not that one. Well, I would just go in there. And so this is when I very, 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 very first got my dot-com job and I was still in Florida, and I was in the room with the engineers who were making all the cold fusion. And I was really the primary, they call me a web producer, but, you know, mostly it was web design and production. And then, you know, we would work together on what the functionality was, and I would, um, you know, do, do, do a lot of the, you know, gooey parts. And, but, but a lot of times, once I got fancy, and, like, it was a dot-com thing, right? And so I would come up with these new features and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> the the my.foo.com stuff, right? And like customization and personalization and, you know, pixie dust comes out, you know, at Christmas time or whatever. And then I go in there and I'd hand him this nonsense that I barely thought through. I didn't realize it at the time. I thought I was a really smart guy with cargo pants who was going to go be a millionaire in a couple months. And he would just sit there and just smile just a little bit because he, he was Buddha-like in his way. And he'd say, okay, we'll define the functionality. I go, okay, well, the functionality is I made you these buttons and, you know, this refines the search. I've told you this story, right? Continue. I don't think you've told it on the show. Have you? Right. Have you told it? I don't think I so. I think I have. But I don't think so. But I go in there and like the example, this, this is actually a true, true example. It's like, okay, this refines the search results. He goes, okay, we'll define the functionality. <sighs> okay, Richard, someone comes to our site and they do a search and then they can refine the results. Do you want me to show you? Oh, no. He's like, okay, well, define the functionality. <laughs> and I go, oh. And so we went through like weeks of this before he finally cracked a little bit because he was breaking me down a little bit and he finally was nice enough to show me what a dumbass I was. And so he stops just saying define the functionality and he would say things like this. Okay, so it refines the search results. I go, yes. I go, okay, okay so somebody just did a search. Yes, Richard. And now you want them to do what? I'm like, I don't know. Like, I want them to be able to, like, now change that to three bedrooms instead of two bedrooms. Okay. Well, is it a new set of results or is it just, is it going to refine a subset of what they've already found? Um, I guess, I don't know. I mean, but they should be able to find the thing they were looking for. Okay. Okay. 
Um, what if they change bathrooms as well as number of bedrooms? How does that, does that, is it the original results or does it just change and should bathrooms take precedence over bedrooms? I, um, what if we have results for bedrooms after they're refined, but not bathrooms? What does that look like? <sighs> um, and, uh, should, when we have the cookie for that and we save that search, like, should it remember, you can see where this is going. Yeah. And I, I've realized like eventually after I let my ego go a little bit, like that, I just did not understand his job, which means I didn't really understand my job. <laughs> and he was, he showed me. And then I would say after, later on, after things blew up and Giles wasn't my boss anymore, I, he, I was on the engineering team then so technically, and I would love to sit in meetings with him because I would watch him do that with people and let them be the ones who figured out that they hadn't really thought it through without him having to say anything. And he wasn't making them look bad, but he was making them explain what they thought was very clear and wasn't. And you know what? He never got his ass handed to him for accepting something that wasn't really reality and then being responsible for implementing it. And he certainly never, ever, ever got 27 priorities because he knew how to, how to basically say to people, for example, you, okay, so you want this thing. You want it to do that. You haven't written this back yet. You know that these three guys are tied up with finishing this one thing we're doing over here that we have to do to show the VCs on da 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 and so on, right? Okay, so you know that we've got these five things we need to do. Which one of those five things should we drop to do yours today? And are you going to go talk to that guy? Because I'm not. <laughs> I'm, I'm not. I agreed to do that because I can do that. I made my deal with that person, and I've gone through that process that we're going through right now with that person. We see eye to eye, and we're reporting back on how the progress is going. But a, a good engineering person is an engineer and they understand things like those limitations. They understand that only so many blocks can fit in the box. And so, you know, I don't know if everybody who worked with Richard like got that experience. And God knows there's certainly a million more things I could learn from him. But eventually, like we were pals because I understood what that job meant. And then I got better at my job because he was nice enough to educate me. I thought I was going to go in there and school him because he didn't get it. But I ended up learning a ton from him. So when your boss is asking you, your boss is not necessarily keeping track of everything you've got on your plate. Maybe, maybe not. So first of all, you know, I wouldn't be too surprised that your bowl is, is already full of pennies. Your boss may not know that. That's kind of your job, I think, if you want to be more than just a receptacle. It's your job to go, just so you know, here's all the stuff I've got on my plate right now. Could you help, could you help me maybe figure out you know, I'll do whichever of these you want, but which one of these means the most to you right now would be another way to do it. I think your boss appreciates that. I, a good boss, don't you, Dan? A good boss has to have the ability to help you think things through the way you're describing. I think that's so unique, though. And literally, I mean that. Yeah, no, I know, but I mean, you could also, but, but again, this is a project manager trick, but also to phrase it to them in a way that you think aligns with how they think about stuff and what, what you think their priorities are. I'm not saying yeah. try, to trick, try to trick them. No, but help, but help you go get through the thinking process. Well, there's a difference between, you know, asking people to cut your steak and like you cutting up your own steak and then going, you know, I, I think you, if you're doing some of the heavy lifting, but then asking somebody for like a yes, no decision or a preference is a pretty good way to talk to a busy person. I think if you, you know, if you're really, really confused, then, then you should get help. You should ask, I'm sorry, you know, you should ask for guidance or, or, or um, clarification. Um, but for myself, if I, had, if I had 27 just a button projects, and maybe they're not, but 
if I had more of that stuff than I could do, I certainly had that and I felt really stuck and not sure what to move. But, but, but me today, I'd like to think, would want to go to the, the people where I, it really matters and, you know, and say, ask even basic questions like, you still need this, right? Because, you know, they might not need that anymore. <laughs> One of those priorities might, might have already changed. And you might be worrying about something that's not even an issue anymore. Or you, you might be worrying about something that's like just isn't the top priority inside the priority anymore. You might want to ask for clarifications. I think there are models, including in things like GTD, where you could really go through all of this stuff. You know, and again, you could do worse than GTD to go through each one of those and say, is this still alive? What's my next action for each one of these projects? And now you've taken a big wad of whatever and, and turned it into a physical activity for each one of those. Well, you know, once you've done that, you may realize that there's way more physical activity than you could ever do in a day, let alone a week, right, to keep all of those alive. And what I, what I would want to say in the nicest way I can is that there is no trick for trying to get, you know, six boxes worth of stuff into one box. There's, there's not, there's no, there's no like tar or zip for that. Like it's not going to happen. The blocks are just always going to be blocks, and, you know, if you want to get better at what you do and you want to move up and you want to do more interesting work, um, then I would really think through everything that's on there. And you know what? Maybe, maybe what you could do is, is you could even go to your boss and say, well, here's, here's two things that seem most important to me. And I think they're most important to you. And maybe go to them and say, here's, here's how we might want to think about doing this differently or where best to put our focus our resources. Does that sound right to you? I, you know, again, it varies so much. All I, all I know is that you can't do more than you can do, and that doesn't make you bad. It just makes you human, and it makes you, it makes you stuck in the same reality everybody else is, you know? Did you ever hear that? that um, it's, it's an old, I guess, I guess a Zen story. I forget, but Steve Hagen tells it in, in the Buddhism book, but what is it, the 80, 80, 85 problems? Is that what it is? You ever heard that one? Mm, I don't think I've heard that, that one. How does it go? Mm, I want to get the number right. Is it long? No, it's pretty short. Guy goes, guy goes to the guy goes to the you know the, the, the Buddhist the, the cannot, you know the, the Buddhist smart guy in every story goes to the the priest or the master or whatever and goes I have so I have this I have so many problems right now you know my my crops aren't growing. Um, you know, my family's a dick. He's got the basic problems of Job minus boils, I guess. You know, you go in and you're, you're bitching about everything. You go, this guy, what? You're the smart one here, right? You're the Buddhist master. You know, you're the one who knows, like, how to fix this stuff. Like, what am I going to do about all this stuff? And he says, well, you know, every, I wish I get the number right. He says, you know, everybody's, everybody's got 85 problems. Like, as soon as you fix one of your 85 problems, you will get another one. Right. And you'll always, you'll always have 85 problems for the rest of your life. It's just that your problem is you have 86 problems because you don't want to have those 85 problems. You know, it's a twist on the, the GMZ. I like that. Yes. But, like, it's, if you were to accept for the sake of argument that, like, you're always going to be that wheel out of balance, there's something oddly freeing about saying, well, maybe I can at least have 85 problems that I like. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, you get a lot of those visited upon you. Right. But in, in the case of your work, if it means a lot to you, then it's worth trying to figure out what you really should be working on. And if it doesn't matter to you, then I wouldn't worry about it. It'll all just die and no one will care. It's, that's the solution. I don't know if that's the right number of problems, Dan. Steve Hagen. At Minnesota Zen Center, boy, they've, they've had some uh, heavy hitters there. You know, button this up? Yep. Sure. Did you want to button it up? 
We didn't get the stress. We didn't get the... We, I think we you, do a whole show on just stress. Hmm. What, what have you been doing there? You've been playing like video chess or something? You've been really quiet. What are you doing? I'm standing here at the mic listening to you talk. You're not on your ball? No. Not at all? Nope. No ball here. No ball there? Nope. Oh, let's button it up. I love you. Love you too.